excuse me. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on this year, and uh, we're going through some transitions in a lot of areas. But I want you to know what our target is, what our goal is, what we're trying to accomplish. You need to know who we are, what we're about. And first of all, we're called Thrive, not Survive. And we're called Thrive because we want to grow, we want to develop, we want to succeed. Not just as a church, but as a community. And we want to see other churches grow, develop, succeed, local churches. It's not a competition between us and, and the local church. We're trying to go out after the world. Amen? Also, what we're about is, is we have a target range that we're trying to hit. And I've had some people say, well, why do you go after that target range? Because I believe that God has called me to go after a target range. But if you are not in the target range, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be here because we still have to have people in all areas of life. But the reason why we have a target age is for a reason. I'll show you. I prayed about it. And a lot of churches, what they do is they go out after about 42-year-olds is their target range. And the reason why is because when you're in that range that you're usually making the most money that, that you usually make is around that range as you get topped out. And so what happens is people like to go out after the dollar. So they go out after the money. What God told me was to go out after 25 to 35-year-olds. And, and, and this is why he told me this. Because at 25, you have your teenagers that are able to look at a young adult and they can look up to the young adults who are doing well. Between 25 and 35, you usually have a group of people who have children. So they bring children into church, and we can raise children from children on up. And it's like, well, what about the people who are older? We need older people to have wisdom to speak into the lives of these 25 to 35-year-olds. Because when I was 35, I thought I knew everything. Now I'm 50, I realize I don't know anything. You know, that's just, that's just the truth, you know, of the matter. But there's a reason why we target something. And, and the thing is, is if you say, oh, well, we'll just target everybody. No, we'll just get, we'll get people as they come. But we, we have a target. We're going after something. We're not trying to be dysfunctional. And, and we're not trying to go after just everybody's target. We're going after the target that God has called us to do. And our target isn't to go out into other churches and take people out of other churches and bring them over here. That's not our target. Our target is to go out into the highways, into the byways, to go out into the world, minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, love on people unconditionally, and invite them to church and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. That is what we're called to do. But see, what happens in a lot of times is people say, well, hey, why don't you check my church out? Why? Are you trying to say one is better than the other? I try not to do that. I try to stay so far away from that because I just think it's so wrong. It's not a, like I said, it's not a competition. What we need to be doing is we need to be just focusing on ourselves. But that's what we're about. Now, tonight, we're going to have our Christmas party. Thanks, Alexa. <clears throat> our Christmas party is pretty fun. Uh, we, we play a game at our Christmas party, and some people call it White Elephant. I just call it Dirty Santa. Because it's just, you know, it's just, you do people wrong, that's just dirty, you know? And so... What we try to do is we tell people try to be around the $5 gift range because, you know, sometimes, you know, if it gets way above there, oh, yeah, people will get attitudes. You know, you'll see stuff come around. I mean, I'm surprised people are still married going to their cars sometimes. You know, it gets kind of wild. <laughs> That's mine, you know. Um, anyway, so what we do in this game is, is we just kind of, everybody brings a gift in, and for every gift, gets a number. 
And then you go, just go through this process, and, and somebody opens a gift up, and, and they, oh, man, I don't like it, so I'm taking your gift, and you can have mine. And then that person's stuck with it. They can't do anything with it unless somebody else wants to trade with them. But who wants to trade toilet paper, you know? You know, or something. So, in other words, it can be a gag gift, and it can be funny. And, and the whole thing is it's just to have fun. That's what There is no, no religious formation involved in this. This is just to have fun. Let's get to know each other, and let's have a good time. Also, what we do is we do finger foods and things like that. So bring in a, a finger food dish, and we just kind of chill out, hang out with each other, and, uh, and have a good time there. But anyway, you also get to, you know, if you got that gift at work this week that you just didn't like or somebody, you get to re-gift it tonight. It's just cool, you know. <clears throat> and so we've been talking about generosity. And in generosity, we talked about uh, re-gifting some things. We talked about uh, last week uh, re-gifting joy. And then uh, we talked about regifting uh, hope the week before, and uh, then I think the week before that, I think we had a guest speaker, and then anyways, but we, we've been doing some different things. Uh, but this is our seventh message on generosity, and this is just a, a, a phenomenal season to be in. But being generous, it's not giving, uh, regifting basically something that's just you got that you just want to get rid of. In generosity and regifting something, you're regifting your best gift. If you can think about the best gift you've ever get, gotten from anybody, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to take this gift, and, and I'm not going to do anything with it, but you know what? I'm going to give it to Kyle. And Kyle's going, yeah, man, you're the man, right? But if I give Kyle, like, oh, my gosh, I got a snow globe. Here, Kyle. I'm like, I'm going to re-give this to somebody else. You know, by the time it's done, it's probably been re-gifted to 10 people, you know? But when it's the best gift, what we're doing is we're, we're demonstrating our character and who we are. And that's what it's about. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about regifting peace. And see, it's good for some of you that are not having peace in your lives right now. This is going to be a really good one. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says this. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their uh, flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. So what you have to take a look at is this. Is, you know, it's a good thing when God comes in your life, but sometimes it's a terrifying thing. Has anybody ever said, like, you know, God, I just want to see you? Anybody ever said that? Guess what? If you did, you'd be terrified. You know that song, freak out? I mean, you'd be freaking out. You would be. I mean, you'd be tripping. I mean, God's just like, ah! You know? I mean, don't think for a moment you'd be going, oh, God, I'm so glad you showed up today. Do you want some coffee? I mean, that wouldn't happen. I mean, if you really think about it. So they were terrified, but he said this. He said, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Some Bibles say swaddling clothes, but it means strips of cloth. Lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, 
the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. There's a lot of people fighting depression, discouragement. People that are warring with a, a battle that's on the inside and it's a war that's just raging where they, they don't have any peace. But God sent His Son Jesus to bring peace to the earth. So let me declare this, or let me say this. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of peace. So when you have the Spirit of Jesus just all on the inside of you and coming out of you, you're bringing the Spirit of peace. For a lot of people, peace is kind of elusive. You know, you, you're trying to get it, but, you, you know, and this is how you try to get it, is, is maybe you're looking for the right job or the right career, or, you, you know, maybe if I work enough overtime, I could make all this money and I could get peace with all this stuff. Or, or, or maybe if I find the right person uh, uh, to be in my life, I can get peace because, let me tell you what, if you find the right person, you'll find out they're not the right person. What? Because you have to live with them. See, I'm sure when Leah saw me, she's like, oh, ooh. she was blinded. By the radiance of the glory. Then she moved in with me and she goes, oh, Lord, what did I get myself into? So anyway, so, I, you know, I mean, I'm still in all. You know, now she, you know, I'm just saying, you know, so, but anyway, you move into them. So it's not with them. It's not always the right person. We think it's the right person that's going to get there, but actually the right person doesn't bring us peace unless it's Jesus. And then you think this, well, you know, maybe if I avoid conflict, I don't care how many conflicts you'll, you avoid. You avoid conflict, you're still going to be jacked up because you start, well, maybe I should have said something or maybe I should have. Of course you should have said something, but maybe not the way you were going to say it. You know? I mean, sometimes I say things, I'm like, man, I shouldn't have said that that way. It just came out wrong. Um, but, but thank God some people know me enough to know that what I mean, but then the other people, I just never see them again. Anyway. And some people, they're just struggling with their future. And they're looking out and they're saying, you know, what, I don't, I'm uncertain about what's going to go on, what's happening. Uh, I'm uncertain about my health, about my finances, uh, uh, or, or uncertain about the world that we live in. I mean, but the angel said this. He said, peace is going to come in a manger in Bethlehem. He said, that's where peace is going to come from, wrapped in strips of cloth. What he said. They were struggling with the same things you and I struggle with. I mean, life, it, it's all the same. Life hasn't changed. <clears throat> so they're struggling with their finances. They're struggling with health. They're struggling with the future. They're struggling with all these things. And all of a sudden, an angel says, hey, don't worry. Uh, peace is coming to your situation. In Bethlehem, wrap, uh, baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. What? That's like saying, hey, my house is on fire. I need some help. Hey, don't worry. God's sending a pencil. What's a pencil going to do? What's a baby in a manger going to do in my circumstance? It doesn't make sense. Well, God sometimes doesn't make sense to us. But he makes perfect sense to himself. And if we would learn just to trust him, then peace is coming. He said, if you find Jesus, you're going to find real peace. 
But what kind of peace does that's the question. The first one is this, is he brings peace to my soul. He brings peace to my soul. What that means is this, he made me right with God. He made me right with the Father. I mean, I don't care what's been going on in your life. You have been made right. Romans 5.1 tells us this. Therefore, what's it there for? Because everything else that was said before it. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. When you know you're right with God, when you know it, you have a peace. I mean, it's a peace that, 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 that's really hard to explain unless you really know. You all have a conscience, right? Okay, at least. And if your conscience is working right, because some people's consciences aren't, but if it's working right, then it's kind of like a warning light on a car. You know, you ever go down the road, all of a sudden that light comes on, whoo! On the inside, you're like, oh, why, why is that check engine light on? Why is that brake light on? You know, you, you start freaking out. And you know, the thing of it is, is, is if you don't do anything about it, probably something bad is going to happen. Well, if your warning light comes on the inside, if you don't do something about it, probably something bad is going to happen. And it might not happen right away. Just because a light comes on doesn't mean you're going to break down right away. It's just telling you, warning, Will Rogers, warning, you know. It's trying to get you to, to pay attention to what's going on. And see, that's how our conscious works. When all of a sudden we have no peace about something, more than likely we're in sin in an area. Because when we're in sin in an area in our life, then the peace will be removed. Well, you might be saying, well, you know, I mean, I don't sin. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't hang out with those who do. Shut up. Let me tell you about sin. You really want to know about sin? Sin is this. Not believing God's word to be true. Not trusting God in your circumstance and you trying to figure it out yourself. That's sin because you have fear that God's word is not going to work. And you know, when you do it long enough, you know what happens? Is you sear your conscience. You sear your heart. And you harden your heart. And then you quit listening to that, to that voice on the inside, that conscience that's trying to tell you something. And then some people, they're just, they're just like, their conscience is on overdrive. And what that means, it, it means it's kind of like a false warning light. And Tony, you would know more about false warning lights than some, some people that know about mechanics. And here's a false warning light. When I was 17 years old, <clears throat> I did brakes alignments at front ends. I worked at a, a brake store in uh, Southern California. It was, you know, just something to do. Well, there was a system that came out, ABS, the anti-lock braking system. It came out, and it was, it was, it was fairly new because we worked on a lot of old cars. Well, back then, what we used to do is we'd, unless you had a, a, a Dodge, 70s Dodge, because the lug nuts were turned the other way, you'd bust the lug nuts off. Anyway, but you'd take the lug nuts off, you take the tire off, you take all the way around the car, then what you do is you go you go, um, you do it one or two ways. You can either collapse the calibers by pulling with a screwdriver. You just take them off. What I did is I just took them all off. I collapsed them with a C-clamp. So I had all of them collapsed with a C-clamp. And, and you'd collapse the calibers. You'd take the rotors off. Uh, you'd turn your rotors. You'd pack your wheel bearings. You know, you'd get all this stuff going. Um, and then 
you'd put the brakes all back together, uh, put it on, uh, pump, up, pump up the pedal a couple times because you want to make sure that the, the fluid uh, went back into the calipers and, and that y your brake pedal went up and so you're done with the brakes, pretty much. Well, when the ABS system came along and you did stuff like that, the brake light wouldn't go off. The brakes were done. They were actually done right, but the brake light wouldn't go off. So I didn't know how to get the brake light off. So I convinced the person or people that, hey, look, the brakes were done. And if they believed me, it was a false warning light. And so they just drove around with that brake light on. I mean, but they had brakes. But some people, they, they, they have this false warning light, and they just, they, and, but they still freak out. Because even though I told them that, more than likely they're going down the road, I wonder if he really did my brakes right. Because the light didn't go off. You guys know where I'm going with this? Okay, good. So that's what happens with us. I mean, a lot of us don't know what Christ Jesus really has done in our lives, and we really don't believe what he's really done, that he's made us righteous, that he's created us to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so the warning light stays on, and we truly don't believe him. We start doubting the, the, his very word. And what happens is this, is the warning lights come on because of false doctrine. You know, we might have been indoctrinated in a, in a church or something like that for years, and we've been told, God's going to get you for that. You know, you're going to hell and, and all these things. And, ah, ah. and, and we don't want to go to church because all we do is get beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down. That's false doctrine. But we've been beat down so much over the years that what happens is when we come to church and we finally get true doctrine of the Word of God, that false warning light comes on because we don't know what's true and what's not true. So what has to happen is that has to change. See, the thing of it is, is if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer a sinner. You're not an old sinner. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the old man has passed away. That means died. Behold, all things have become new. So that means you don't identify yourself with what you used to be. You identify yourself with who you are now. See, to, to you and to everybody else around you, you might not look like something, but to God, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, 1 John 4, 17 says, As he, I use this scripture this morning in prayer, as he, talking about Jesus, is right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. He's, he's elevated on high. He is righteous. He is holy. He is as he is right now, not as he was when he walked on the earth. And he was pretty darn good when he walked on the earth. As he is, so are we in this world. You might not see it, but that's how God looks at you. But look it up. 1 John 4.17. Go look it up. I'm not going to put it up on there. You can need to find it yourself. Open your Bibles. So the thing of it is, is this, is God's not mad at anyone on the planet. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. The Bible says he became the propitiation, which means this, is he took all the wrath of God for all of mankind, past, present, and future sin. That's what propitiation means. He took all of that for mankind, past, present, and future. It was placed upon him at the cross. And because of that, he's not mad at you anymore. I'm telling you, if you just take that word right there, and you know that right there, that's enough. 
That's, that's the message. Matter of fact, the Bible says he gave us the, the message of reconciliation. Not the message of, you're going to hell. God's going to get you for that. That's not the message he gave us. The Bible says we are ambassadors of heaven. He's given us the message of reconciliation. And that what means this is we've been reconciled to God. Peace has come between God and man. That is the message. Boy, it is quiet in this Presbyterian church. Romans uh, 5.2 says this. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. So you didn't deserve it. But because of your faith, because you believed in him, because you trusted that he became sin. It said he became sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. So he was made, he was created to be sin on the cross. He didn't sin, he didn't go out and sin, but he who knew no sin was made to be. That means he was created to be. God created to him, all of a sudden, boom, you're sin. That means AIDS, leprosy, disease, poverty, anything that was under the curse of the law, he became he who knew no sin. Man, I'm telling you, this is good stuff right here. And it says, when you take a look at this, it's undeserved privilege. We didn't deserve it. Where we now stand, so you stand in this, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So if you don't have peace and you're not confident about who you are and where you stand, it tells me this. Number one, you either are not born again. Or number two, you have a false warning light going on. That's not true. You've been deceived. I mean, I'll give you scripture, and, and this is the thing. People, well, you can't tell people that because if you tell people that, they're just going to go ahead and sin. Let me tell you something. They're going to go ahead and sin anyway because you only do what you want to do. See, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he dealt with this when he was speaking this message. He said, are you saying it's okay to sin? And he was like, certainly not. You're not understanding what I'm throwing down. What I'm throwing down is this, is when we truly know what Jesus paid and the price he paid, and it gets on the inside of us, it causes us to be eternally and internally grateful for the price that he paid and causes us to turn around from the inside out instead of having to obey a bunch of rules on the outside that we couldn't do in the Old Testament law anyway. I'm telling you, this is good. (coughs) Excuse me. But what you need to do is you have, if you have that warning light on the inside, you need to go back to the owner's manual, the Bible. If you have problems finding the scriptures that I'm talking about and in contact, context, please talk to me. I will give them to you. I will give them. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff because you need it. It's good for you. And because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that's the only way you're going to change. You're not going to change from a Sunday morning service. You're going to change because the word of God has changed your life. Number two, he brings peace to my relationships. Now, this right here is regifting. What do you mean it's regifting? Well, this is a chance that we have to bring peace into relationships, and this is where it works. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they they will be called children of God. 
So it's telling us to be peacemakers. And when we're peacemakers, what it just said is, is when we received when we receive this gift of peace from Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, when we become peacemakers and we make peace with people, we bring peace into our relationship, it says we're children of God. So that, what, what that does, it says you'll start looking like God when you become a peacemaker. Oh, pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. <clears throat> well, do you really know what they did to Jesus? Well, you know, that was Jesus. And your point? You know, Jesus could have said no. You know, Jesus went through every temptation, every trial, and everything that you and I have gone through. He had no advantage on us. Because if he did have any advantage whatsoever, then the price would not be a fair price. He had to pour out all of himself. It talks about that in Philippians. He poured out all of himself. He came down to this earth as a man. Everybody says God-man. Well, it's only God by title because he really didn't have the God powers. Well, then how was he able to do all the stuff he did? John tells you because he was full of grace and truth. Well, whose grace was he full of? The Father's. He had a relationship with the Father, and it was the Father's power and divine power and ability working in him and through him to give him the power and ability that a man cannot have, but only God could have in himself. And he was utilizing that power and ability, and that's the same power and ability you and I have. Because you and I can't heal a gnat's wing. But it's the power of God. So he had no advantage whatsoever. And so when people look at us in that way and they see us in that way, all of a sudden they realize that we're a Christ follower. They see that you're a child of God. See, a child of God doesn't complain about anybody. Or at least one who knows they're a child of God. One who knows that they're a child of God doesn't get upset over stupid stuff. I mean, when they do, they just let it go really really quick, really easy. Everybody's starting to shrink down now. Because you all know what you're talking about this morning. Come to church. I'm not getting up. Hit snooze. I got to sleep a little longer. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. Romans 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, <clears throat> so that means it might not even be possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So in other words, if you're not at peace with someone, don't let it be your fault. Even if you committed the act that really started the offense in the beginning, you, you apologize, you repent, you do everything you can do. Let them be upset if they want to be. That's between them and God, not between you, them, and God. As long as it depends upon you, live at peace with every person. So don't make it your fault. So we're called to be peacemakers. Your conversation, in, in all of our conversations, we need to take a look at, does it cause anger? Our social media, does it cause division? Does it cause strife? Does it, are, are we getting up there and trying to debate and argue over scripture, over politics, over whatever? If you're doing that, you're not a peacemaker. You might not agree with whatever, that's okay. Be a peacemaker. Because, see, this is the thing. If you're a peacemaker... Then when it comes time to be able to speak to that person, they'll listen to you. But if they're always arguing with you on Facebook, 
Or every time you come around, they're like, oh, no, here he comes again, or here she comes again. They're not going to listen to you. But if they know that you don't cause trouble, trouble, strife, confusion, they know you don't do that, they know that you always try to look at the best in things and you try to have peace, they understand you're a peacemaker. They're not threatened. So Jesus brings peace to your soul. He brings peace to your relationships. And the last place is he brings peace to my future. People think this. They think, will I find the right job? Will I find the right spouse? Will my kids make the right choices when they grow up? Will I have enough money for retirement? Will I have good health when I get older? Will our leaders of this country make good decisions? These are things that we all think about in different, you know, and we, we, we struggle with and we... And the thing is, is this, don't worry about it. Let it go. It's easier said than done. Well, that's just because you've been lied to. That's because you haven't really depended upon the Word of God to be your guide. You haven't depended upon the Holy Spirit to guide you through the Word to give you the peace that passes all understanding. Because this is what the Bible says. Jesus, when He was talking about money. He was talking about finance. He was talking about money, right? And then in that he says, you know, don't don't invest in stuff that can rust or uh, stuff that can be stolen and all this stuff. He, you know, he said make it eternal or heavenly investments. And then he said this to the disciples as he was talking about that. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33, it says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God, so wonderfully, if God, so, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, what does it say about these things? These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. So if you're worried about paying your rent, if you're worried about paying your bills, if you're worried about all that stuff, you're thinking like an unbeliever. It dominates your thoughts. It says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. That word need doesn't just mean, even though I know I'm going to read something that says, you know, human concerns or human whatever, um, but... It, that word need literally means wants and desires in the Greek. 
And let me clarify this because I've said this before. Because think of the scripture. Well, how do you know that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. So you're not going to want for anything. Okay? It's just my wants aren't going to be sin. My wants aren't going to be ungodly because when I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, my wants and desires line up with Him. Amen? Okay. I'm going to read this scripture and we're going to close right here. It is the same uh, basic scripture, but, it, but actually it's verse 33 and 34 in the Message Bible. It says, steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You don't have to freak out about tomorrow. Tomorrow's not here. Seek God today. And when you seek God today, let God show up and be your provider. Let God give you the provision that you need. Quit working the crowd. What does that mean? 